Heli Nation version 2.0. I am Nick, and this is episode number 232. Mr. Poochie, how are you doing this evening? I am doing fabulous, and good evening to you. Why, thank you. Well, guess what? What? It's a nerd show. Yeah. That's right. Uh, Dan is gone. Took off on his motorcycle. What? Dude, I still can't get over the whole motorcycle Dan thing. That's awesome, but it's going to take a while to sort of sink in. Yeah, I agree. And uh, Jesse is away on travel, so it is the two nerds here to entertain you today. Yeah. So we can talk about whatever Whatever the hell we want. Yes. And you may think this might be a short show because there are only two of us. And yet, it is the two of us that could pretty much talk to ourselves for four hours straight and not skip a beat. That's right. With with the exception of, oh, wait, here, hold on. I'm going to mute you. I got to grind something real quick. Uh, what? There we go. Okay, I'm done. No, it's it's kind of an ongoing joke. We Justin and I... Uh, we will during our nightly build sessions when we're building. Oh, I get it now. <laughs> yeah. We just kind of hang out on the phone. I mean, because you're you're out there tinkering by yourself, and we both know that each other is up. Our wives think it's just completely childish, and we kind of really don't care. But we just kind of get a phone call started, and we'll just sit there, and you know, and, and we'll chit chat for a minute, and there'll be. a you know, maybe a minute or two of silence, and then it's like, hold on, dude, I'm going to mute you. And it's always because one of us has to fire up a Dremel or or make a whole bunch of noise. It's like the courtesy mute. It's true, although I've been getting a little bit more aggressive with what I'm willing to not mute, just to kind of see, like, if you bitch, then next time I'll mute it. But I've gotten away <laughs> with some shit lately. Yeah, well, it does some funky stuff. I've, it, the iPhone has some weird things that we found out, like noises that don't sound like what they really are because we're always going, dude, what are you doing? What the hell is that? Yeah, and Justin has now built a very um, personal relationship with my V-Control sounds. Oh, dude, that <laughs> thing. Now I, I now that I think about it, I couldn't do it on cue. I don't remember it, but do, when it do, starts do, do, do. going... <laughs> I'll sit there and I'm not even sure. I don't even know that I'm doing it anymore. I'm just sitting there. I'm working on whatever I'm working. And, you know, I hear it. So it does like a power up ding. Mm -hmm. Right. And then it does some other ding afterwards. So I'll hear the power up ding. And then I will fill in the next (laughs) ding on cue on cue. And then he'll start laughing and I'll be like, well, yeah, that's that's the next ding. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, it's all in good fun. So speaking of wrenching, how has this week been for you? This week has been, uh, it's 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 been okay. It's been okay. Uh, you know, before we get to the wrenching, though, I got to talk about what I haven't been wrenching on because it's a bit of a sore topic right now. What I haven't been wrenching on is my TDR2. Now, oh. we talked about this a little bit last week. I'm more pissed, but there is a silver lining here. It does it does work out in the end. This week, nothing changed in terms of the whole tracking on USPS.com. So, you know, I, I uh, got in contact with Sabine and Jan at Henselit again and said, hey, you know, just can you do me a favor and take a look, see if there's any information on your side? They said, sure, no problem. Then I got on the phone with the U.S. Postal Service. Now, I'm sorry. Yeah, the U.S. Postal Service, so they've just lost all my business. I'm just going to say that right now, <laughs> okay? Now, here's the deal. My dad was a postal worker for 35 years before he retired, and he's still involved uh, sort of like peripherally in the postal workers union where he lives even after being in retirement. But he understands that shit doesn't run the way it used to when he was there. So, you know, I get on the phone with this postal person. First of all, it takes me 15 minutes to get to the point where I actually can talk to a human because every time I ask for customer service, it says, oh, I see you asked for customer service, but did you know you can do all of this useless shit on USPS.com? <laughs> you finally get to it, and I and I uh, and I said, "Hi, you know, my name's Justin. I got a problem. It looks like you guys are shipping my package everywhere except for where it needs to be." Okay, so here's the update. Last time we talked about it ending up in it started in San Francisco. It went to Washington. Then from Washington, it went to Maryland. Well, since we've talked on the last episode, it went to two additional locations in Maryland. And when you when you put plot them out on a map, it's just like random. It's it's taking a tour of Maryland. Mar and then, Maryland's pretty much gangbanging your TDR too. Yeah, exactly. And then, as if that wasn't enough, Virginia got in on some sloppy sloppy seconds. <laughs> I mean. So it gets sent to Virginia, and it moves around to two or three places in Virginia. So I, I'm, I call up this lady, and I'm like, look, help me out here. Here's the tracking number. Here's all the information. Just tell me where it's going. Well, sir, all I see is that it has left its destination, or it's left its uh, location in Virginia, and it's en route to its destination. And I said, you know, forgive me if I don't believe you. Because I've seen now six previous locations where it said it was on its way to its destination. Can you tell me where it's going? No, sir, we can't do that. Okay, is it because you're not allowed to or you can't? No, we just can't. I don't get any information more than what you see on the website tracking. Well, then why the fuck am I talking to you on the phone right now, lady? <laughs> And then to top it all off, she says, oh, and by the way, you cannot place a claim against a lost package because it's an international shipment. There's some United Nations Universal Postal Union 
that says that claims against international shipping must be filed by the sender. Okay, so I got back with Jan and Sabine. And they, of course, were perfectly fine with placing a claim with the German DHL. And this is where it gets kind of cool because I got to give these guys mad props. I, I mean, I, I, I know Jan and Sabine fairly well, having worked with them at the Speed Cup before. They're really great people. They're truly ambassadors of the hobby. But if you don't know these people, you got to understand that they are, I mean, they would give you the shirt off their back. And they did just that. Sabine basically said, look, I reported it. If we don't hear anything satisfactory uh, from German DHL or the Postal Service in America by next week, we're just going to send you another one because this is ridiculous. So that's impressive. That's very impressive. Very impressive. And that was not I didn't make a big stink about it. I just said, hey, guys, this is a crappy situation. I want to get my model eventually. Can you help me out? And that was the next response. So they placed a complaint. Uh, the next day, my tracking got updated to their, the USPS has discovered that there may be an issue with your package. They are now taking action. And 24 hours later, it is in Bothell, Washington, where I live. And today they attempted to deliver it, but I was not there to sign it. So they left a notice and I will be going to pick it up tomorrow on my day off. So by the time you guys hear this, hopefully, I'm curious what it looks like. You know, my my dad said the same thing. He's like, I'm glad it's coming, but you better make sure that it's in one piece. You need to be mentally prepared. Although... I, I would be willing to bet that they package that thing in like a freaking bomb-proof packaging. Yeah, Jan's packaging is usually double-layer thick corrugated cardboard, at least on a couple of sides. Mm -hmm. Probably because he's been stung enough times shipping a majority of his product internationally. He's had to have seen some crazy shit come back. So... Overall, it's going to work out. I will have it tomorrow. I'll be able to report on it on the next show. Um, so super excited about that. It also turns out that my motor for that heli also was attempted to be delivered today. So it's kind of like a heli Christmas tomorrow. I'm going to go and pick up the, the TDR mechanics because I've already got the canopy and the boom and the new prototype. 50 millimeter X Nova motor speed motor. Nice so, man. I'm, I'm excited now back to the wrenching. I didn't really do much this week on helis because honestly, there's not anything to do at this point. I have taken to heart, as I said before, what you were telling me, Nick about getting shit ready. Mm -hmm. And I did. I've got my goblin speed, my Gowie R5, my Nitro, my 380, all ready to run. My TDR1 has a parts order placed. Nice. Now, who knows when it's going to get here, yeah. and I hope it doesn't happen the same way. Uh, <laughs> and you, then They'll the probably only beat thing... your TDR2 here. Oh, God, man. That would be painful. 
The only thing that I haven't done is finalize the order for the Diablo just because that one stings a bit. And I'm still, you know, I'm holding out for the understanding that I'm probably going to have to buy a couple of bits and pieces uh, to finish up the TDR2. I got my servos, HBL 960s and 990s from MKS. I got all the other stuff. What I don't have is packs. Ugh. And, ugh. We're, we're going to talk a little bit about packs, but let's, before we get there, what I did do out of sheer boredom and a need to feel somewhat connected to the whole TDR2 building community, because it's a little rough to sit there and talk to all of your speed friends who are like, dude, look at what I, I just built the drivetrain. I just made mine. And I'm like, sweet, I've got a canopy and some stickers. <laughs> So I decided to put the stickers on the canopy. And for those who have not done that with a Henselit, it's the same as the TDR-1. Uh, but what Jan gives you is these super high-quality vinyl stickers. And they're like the hardcore vinyl stickers where you don't peel them and place them dry. You, you, know, you wet the canopy or the surface you're putting it on, and mm-hmm. then you dip the sticker in soapy water. So that you can move it and manipulate it. And then you're like squeegeeing water out of it. It was, I thought I was getting, I was getting nervous. I was thinking it was going to be one of those ones where I was going to screw it all up. And I was just going to be pissed off at myself. It turned out better than I could have ever imagined. And it was actually somewhat therapeutic because you got to focus. This was the first time I've ever done vinyl stickers. Have you done them before, Nick? Yeah. And they're, they are yes you, they require focus because it's not a thick sticker that was the other thing that caught me off guard it's a very very thin layer so you get this thing wet and it's stretchy and you put it on the carbon fiber and as you're trying to manipulate it and get it to you know go with the right lines and not get bunched up you can get you know little folds or you can stretch it out or rip it so I was super nervous about it, but it really came out great. I went with white. Uh, the purpose being that I think that uh, it, it would give me the ability to customize the color as I see fit with mm-hmm. pinstriping. Mm-hmm. And so took a page out of your 570 book on the pinstriping. And I'm going to order up some, probably some thin, like eighth inch pinstriping in red and maybe like silver or gray and basically use that as accents to the windshield and the, the comet, like the TDR comet that comes off the side. Nice. Yeah. So that worked out really well. Canopy's all done. Just waiting on the mechanics. And then the only other major thing that I did was finalize the speed timing system that I've been working on. Uh, the, the little control box is all nice and polished up and final now. And then I went and measured out two uh, spools of about 450 feet of Cat 5 cable because that's how I run the triggers from the, from the different sides of the course. Did some testing on the full length. It's awesome. It works. It's got all sorts of cool features now where we can flip a switch to select whether we want the calculated speed to be based on a 120 meter or a 200 meter course. 
It has a GUI that will show the speeds and times on a computer. Or if you don't have a laptop, you can just plug it into a 9-volt power supply or a 2S LiPo and run it right there with a little LCD screen. And we're going to test it at Othello next week. Oh, yeah. Better watch out, bitches. Old yep. 500 SS is coming. Absolutely. Other than that, I have officially uh, rejoined the simming community. It's painful as hell, but I've been forcing myself to do it because I haven't been getting out to fly as much as I would like. And so I got to keep sharp on the sim. So, uh, you know, like I usually do, I do a mix of speed and 3D simming, Mm -hmm. which basically amounts to I spend at least 15 minutes speed simming. And then if I feel like I want to do more, I will. And if I don't, then I move on to 3D. So it ends up being a, you know, a 30 minute session or so. And I'm trying to hit that a couple of, at least a couple of nights a week. Nice. Can I, can I, (laughs) can I tell a funny story? Yeah, yeah, I I figured you were going to, so just go right ahead. <laughs> well, I wa- I I'm asking permission first. Yes. No, I, I think that it is worthy of I would like airing you to, tell to it. the international community. Yes, go ahead, you tell it. Okay, so so All right. <laughs> I'm just going to begin with God damn it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> This this discharger has tried me more than I think any other tech tip has ever done. Yes. Okay. Now, I have a design. The design works. Okay. Rev one of the design for Nick's discharger resulted in uh, arc welding the mechanical relay contacts together. Correct. Okay. It's a really, it was a crappy relay. I mean, we're talking like, you know, less than a buck per relay. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I was trying for a budget build. So, did some research, put together a snubbing network, did a lot of testing, still couldn't convince myself that it was worth giving to the public because they just arc weld their relays together. And frankly, that would inundate my inbox with emails and private messages that I would not be able to handle. So we moved on to solid state relays. Perfect. I sourced a good solid state relay, seven bucks a piece, 40 amps. I put that together for Nick. I get it all tested out. Everything's great. Works on my bench. I ran several batteries through it, had no issues. I sent it to Nick and I get probably about Tuesday. I think it was Tuesday. Mm Mm-hmm. I get a text from him with a video, an iPhone video. No words, just an iPhone no, video. No, I, I sent oh, a text did. right after that. said, is this some sort of sick joke? Yeah. Okay, so the iPhone video shows Nick attempting to start the discharger, but being unsuccessful. And, and let me bring you guys up to speed because we haven't talked much about this. The control unit is universal. You can plug it into any load. You can plug it into the LM317 linear regulators that I use. You can plug it into 
car headlights, hair a resistor bank, a head hair dryer, whatever you want. Okay. So he's got it plugged into my little flux capacitor original prototype, and that's fine. And what we see in the video is when you flip the switch, so there's a standby and there's a discharge switch, so you can turn it on and off. Doesn't do anything. And it's discharging. And it's saying it's discharging at like 138 amps. Not possible for one without fire. Okay. So we we pull it apart and I'm walking through some stuff. We're on FaceTime. We're diagnosing shit. And Nick realizes, luckily, that apparently in my hurry to get things rewired and cleaned up so they were presentable, I swapped the polarities on the output of the solid state relay. Great. And that that makes sense. That's why we were having a problem. So he flips those around and says, yeah, dude, it works. Everything's working. Oh, but you missed one thing. The original reason it didn't work, we thought, was because dumbass me forgot to plug in the balance lead. Okay, that's true. And then we figured out, oh, that, and I said, you know what? I just forgot all about it. It's underneath, so it's kind of underneath, and it's easy to visually miss. Oh, that's yep. it. No, that's going to be it. No problem. So I plug it in. I'm like, well, I have cell voltage now, but it still doesn't work. And then right. we found one wire that had come out, right? Got yep. shaken loose during shipping or whatever. Just wasn't quite tight. Yep. So then I'm like, yeah, that's it. Put nope. it back in. Well, now it does it. Now it discharges all the time. Yep. And then we, then we found the solid state was swapped. So we swapped that, and then it worked. So okay, yeah. So it, it was working, and this was one of our nightly wrenching sessions. So okay, hey, fix that problem. Let's move on to the next one. We were in a conversation about batteries and how we're not able to find the batteries that we want to fly this season. And we're talking about, you know, the Goblin Nitro. And he's like, oh, shit, that's not good. We got fire. (laughs) I'm like, oh, God, here we go. We got fire. And I thought he was screwing with me, but nope, you were not. So so what happened? I was not. I There was... Smoke billowing from the center of the control unit. Oh, man. So he's like, he just sat here for 15 minutes. Oh. Oh. Well, you, okay, so you got to, you got to understand that (laughs) that hits close to home. Not only because of the amount of effort I've been putting into that, but also because uh, I have I've recently, because of a variety of different things that have gone on at work, adopted my new favorite version of Murphy's Law, which is enjoy today because tomorrow will be worse. Yes. And it I can't remember the last time that tomorrow was better. So. (laughs) This week has been particularly painful for a number of reasons. And then he drops this shit on me. But I figured out how to make tomorrow better for you. By force. By force. He's like, dude, just box it up and send it back. And I'm like, here's the deal. No. I'm not going to. I'm going to keep it in my possession. 
I'm not taking it back apart again, mostly because I didn't want to, because uh, we were cutting into my Goblin Nitro build time. And I said, no, I'm not going to let you do it. I'm not going to ship it back because then you're going to screw with it and it's going to distract you. So, no, I will hold on to it and I will give it to you at the end of Othello, like right as we are leaving. I'll be like, okay, here you go. Oh, that's killing me, dude. But that's, that's a friend doing you a favor. I agree. I appreciate it. Yep. But damn it. I mean, you have to at least open it to tell me what went up in smoke. I might. I think our theory is right. It's the solid state relay because we backfloated. It it smells like solid state relay. <laughs> There's nothing else inside there that has enough current running through it to no. produce smoke. Just the shunt, but that shouldn't do no, anything. Not at all. So yeah, that's that's my discharger story. So, like usual, I get I probably get about two or three questions a week on hey, when's the discharging tech tip gonna come out? Guess what? It's not ready yet now because I got to figure out what the hell went wrong and I got to fix it and make sure it works so that I don't give you guys a shitty tech tip. Yeah, so just it it, it has now reached the status of basically Justin's TDR2, which is don't worry about it. It'll get there when it gets there. <laughs> yeah. Don't rush it. Don't try and follow it. Just turn around and be happy when it shows up. It will be worthwhile, but you you just got to let me work out some of these kinks. But here's the deal, right? It's it's somewhat fortuitous that you are the guinea pig because, as we pointed out on that phone call, if there is ever a possibility that something that flows electricity through it could go wrong, then it will go wrong in your possession. That's right. I'm the... Freaking like the Dalai Lama of destroying electronics. Yep. Yeah. But it's good. I mean, I, f- I find weaknesses where there we don't even know there's weaknesses. You're <laughs> Shit just gets around me. It's like, oh, my God, it's him. <laughs> oh, that's not good. We got fire. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, so that's that's the funny story. I'm okay with it. You know, we all make mistakes. Oh, yeah. It's it's a good project though. Uh, it's it's awesome. For the record, when he gets it done, and I know he will, it is an awesome, awesome little project. Very fun for uh for the tinkering type, and not to mention that it's just flat out cool. Yeah, one yeah once you get it built, it's it works really well. Well, it will work really well. <laughs> When building a new helicopter, it is a relief to know that I don't need to worry about what brand of servos I'm going to use. Now that I have hundreds of flights on multiple sets of BK servos, I have no problem running them on any heli and recommending them to anyone. For me, they bring everything to the table that I need in a set of servos. Strength, speed, cost, and of course, looks. With the sexy machined aluminum cases and affordable gear sets, I definitely know which servos are going on my next heli. Check them out at bkservo.com. How about you, man? We we kind of sort of already touched on a little bit of your experience. Yeah. How has your week been other yeah. than 
Once we got the discharger, your trailer. Yeah. Once we got the discharger thing out of the way. No, I have been. Um, I have been very slowly, which is not like me at all. But I have been slowly building my Goblin Nitro. Ah, and how do you like it? You know, it's funny because I'm at the point. I kind of skipped around a little bit, but I mean, for the most part, I kind of followed the manual. It is so, and this is going to be like the first part's going to sound very like, what? It's so nonchalant anymore. And I was kind of sitting there thinking about it the other, I got done with the other night at like 2.30 in the morning or something. And I was getting ready to do a Facebook post. And I'm like, I don't know how to word this and make it not sound bad. But I have become so expectant and like immune to the fact that these kits just go together period yeah i was gonna say i mean you're saying you're saying you're taking your time but how much time can you take with a goblin kit well no i mean not so much as that but like and i've been doing some other work stuff watching some training videos why i'm doing it so i'm going slow you know because nick is going slow but they just don't have problems with them anymore. They SAB's got their kits so like refined because they've done so many models now that everything just fits and works. You know, I had like the one thing. So I'm pretty much through the whole frame setup. I've got yeah, my I saw servos. the picture on Facebook, dude. Yeah, I've got my servos in. Uh, last night, I did the whole tail assembly, like everything through the tail assembly, which, by the way, I can now confirm that this is, they are progressing with their with their boom design. It is consistently getting stronger and lighter every so model. So is this one like a, like a Goblin 380 or a Goblin 500 sport boom? Uh, I would say like a Goblin 500 Sport Boom. Yeah, it's no question it's lighter. I even asked because the stretch kit's not available. So I was talking to Juan, my team manager, and I'm like, hey, can I just slap a, you know, I really want that stretch kit for it. And I said, can I just slap a 700 competition boom on? He's like, no, way too heavy. The Black, uh, Black Thunder and the Nitro stretch booms are way lighter. And so they really are. They're just getting more refined. And uh, it shows in in the build because I just, it was so casual that I, I, it was just easy because everything fit and worked. The only thing that I went, uh, wait a minute here is on the, so they've got, um, let's see, I'm not to, I put the clutch stack. Ooh, I'll get to the clutch stack in a minute because that's kind of a crazy cool design. But for the for the normal heli part of it, they have the the holders for the gas for the fuel tank on yep. the side that sandwiches them in the frames, and they have these nuts, these little machined kind of like nut holders, I guess you would call them, that go in some uh, slots in the frame, and they're slightly adjustable, and they tell you to glue them in in the manual. And I'm like, wait a minute here. There's three of them. If I just glue and put them in here, 
and there's adjustment, this is not going to end well. Right. <laughs> so that's my one little trick is grab, don't even worry about digging out the proper bolts. Just grab some uh, 2.5 mil bolts or 3 mil, whatever they are, and um, of your own, you know, everyone, every, everyone's got them at this point. And use those and go ahead and, and put your CA or put your epoxy or whatever you want to use on those nut holders. Set them in the frame, but then go ahead and bolt the tank holders in place and just bolt them down, tighten them, and leave them overnight and let them dry. That way, those three nut holders are aligned properly. Because I could see where you later, after you get it all done, you go to put the fuel tank in. You're like, dude, this doesn't line up even close. It doesn't fit. Yeah. Yeah. It's very odd because it's the only thing, like, I have never, ever, ever, ever on any of my SAB kits had um, alignment issues with bolt holes. Ooh, with the exception of the 380 on the, like, the little frame plastic yep. piece i know yep. you know what i'm talking about oh yeah i had to i actually had to drill out the holes in my frame to to make them oval to fit everything and make it yeah aligned. that one was funky but that's the only time i've ever had their their accuracy on their machining is is fantastic yep on everything else so yeah i'm kind of at that point um i was getting ready to start on now what to me is the new part which would be the whole front end of it the motor assembly and get this i don't think most people realize this just by looking at the pictures but do you know that there is no clutch bell to clutch alignment no it's i haven't seen enough of the clutch stack to know i have seen some pictures i think I want to say it was Art Hughes posted some yep, really nice pictures of the clutch stack, but it looks so different from any other one that I've seen that it was sort of hard to identify the the key features. And it's it's even hard to explain. There's kind of like just a long shaft that you don't use the nut on the end of your motor shaft on your nitro motor. So this long shaft, we'll call it a sleeve, basically, screws down on top of your motor shaft, and it has a couple pinch bolts at the bottom to secure it. But then you kind of stack all of the components together. You know, so you put your you put your clutch on there, then you set your uh, clutch bell on there um, with the fan and everything all bolted to the top of that. And then it screws together. So it's like a, it's almost like what I would envision a one way bearing assembly, except it's a clutch. Interesting. Yeah. And then the pulleys on the very top. So it's just, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's nuts. Like I kind of sat there and was like, oh my gosh, because that's always been the, what in my opinion what was the worst part is getting everything aligned properly because it is really important you will start wiping out bearings you'll get vibrations you know if you yep. have your your clutch slightly out of line from the motor every rotation that clutch is actually rocking back and forth a little bit and it's going to create a tremendous amount of vibration and then, you know, that's why they came out with back in the T-Rex 700 days, the old G-Force clutch stack and all that. So it was adjustable yep. because 
OS was different than YS, and even if it was just minuscule kit to kit. So, yeah, that part of it is, like, gone. I mean, there isn't. But then get this. Did you see how the motor belt's all tensioned? Nope, didn't get that either. You actually slide the entire, and I'm going to call it the transmission assembly. So the whole main part of the goblin, you know, what we know is the goblin on the top, that slides within the frame now. Ooh. So that slotted in the frame. So you got your your motor and everything all bolted up front. You pull the the whole assembly back to adjust the motor belt tension, adjust the motor belt, then adjust the belt tension after that, and then finally tighten down your boom. So you know your lower boom screws that hold the boom in from the side? Yep. Those With are the, like... The little clamping screws? Yeah. Those are now slotted because the whole thing moves within the frame. So you're hold on. You're saying the the single piece aluminum. I guess I'll call it a servo and bearing block. Yeah, it's the tra- it's the transmission really because it's got With all the of main the gears. gear yeah, and yeah. the secondary pinion. All of that shit moves. Yes, within the frame. That is fascinating. So picture boom is bolted to that right. So the boom to the transmission relationship does not change because you still have the two plastic bolts, okay? Yep. The motor is fixed to the carbon fiber frame assembly. Right. Bolts in. So that is going to, you move the entire guts of the helicopter front and back within the frame. And the, wow. So so the guts are on slotted holes. Yeah. And you probably want to crank those down pretty tight so that thing yeah, does not slip forward and Yeah, flight. but there's a ton of them. Think about it. That's Think, true. That's true. Yeah. I mean, it's. I sat there and was like, this freaking genius. This is the most simple solution to what would have been. Because that's a, like, that is a big... I'm not going to say it's a big issue, but lots of different people have done that whole motor tightening because it's kind of hard. I mean, it's hard to get the motor in perfect alignment and all that kind of stuff. Well, this takes it all out of it. All you need to do now is tension the belt, the motor belt, or the engine belt, should I say. The engine belt. Yes. That's freaking sweet, dude. I mean, they. there's no doubt in my mind that they took innovation to the next level with this model and not just in that like i didn't know about that but i have heard about some of the other things that they've got in there and it's stuff that i don't think the heli community's ever seen before no and like the the fan shroud is the electronics tray on the front it's all they're they're molded oh to, nice together so you snap the whole thing in half still so you have to like you know, once you get it all bolted down, you put your you put your Velcro on the front for the battery, and you, but then you just take an X-Acto knife and uh, cut a slit down the middle of the Velcro right where the seam is. So wait a minute, can, though. Wait, wait, wait. So it's a single piece fan shroud and electronics tray. Yes. How does that work if you need to remove the engine? So I think the entire thing, it, it all comes out together. 
Yeah, but how do you split the fan apart to get the engine out if you need to work on it without taking your electronics off? So I don't think you really do have to because, okay, let's think about it. The only electronics that you're going to have up there is your battery. Okay, not a big deal. Pop it off the tray. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, and you then, can, so you can still mount your fly barless system in the back where it You absolutely is. do. Yeah, like 100%. So, okay. So what I did... Um, and I've ran this before. Mine met a very smashing death in the T-Rex 700 crash. But I went this week and bought another, uh, the perfect regulators, was it the Safe Switch Duo Pro. That thing, to me, it's like it's the God's gift to Nitro, the stuff. So it's a little unit. I guess the new one has uh, LEDs on it to show battery status. It's uh, got a fail-safe switch, a long lead with a fail-safe switch, and a glow driver. So within that fail-safe switch, there's a button right there for the glow. And then coming out of the unit, you have your, your glow and then your uh, your lead that goes up to the battery. And it's got like one of the boards on the front where you can do multiple power outs like you choose how many power outputs you want out of it. Right. And it also has some regulated 5.3 volt. Ah, for like old school tail yeah, servers. for old school tail or throttle or whatever. So you could go like throttle in and then throttle out. You know, so you could actually plug your throttle servo into this and go throttle out and it would be 5.3 volts going to your throttle. What is the, what, what the hell is the fail safe switch? That's so that plug you just plug your pack into your EC3 or your Deans or whatever, and that all the power goes through this unit. So the fail switch, it's a it turns it on and off. Oh, okay, okay. It's just it's a power switch. Yeah, it's a power switch, but it's the small micro fail safe style where if you smash it, it stays right. on. Right, right, right. Got it. Yeah, so it's kind of like for me, I I mean, it was it's everything that I need. For me, in a nitro in in one unit, because I did a lot of looking around. It was like, okay, well, I I kind of like I like running a fail safe switch on a nitro. I mean, last time I just plugged and unplugged. I don't mind, but it's it's you know it's a nice little convenience when you get out to the field if you don't have to take the canopy on and off. You know, oh, I've, dude, I love it. I yeah. did I did it on the NX7 with, now it's not a fail-safe switch. It's just a Dean's arming plug. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I don't have to, with a 5,000 milliamp hour, I refuel, I fly. I refuel, I fly. I don't need to take the canopy off all day. Yeah. And, and I, I dig it. Now, uh, what has been brought to my attention, which I could care less about, I actually really like it. I think that the battery fitment on this is um, minimal. So I don't, I think some guys are saying like the Pulse 2500. Um, I'm going to run the OptiPower 2150s, but I don't think you can fit much bigger than that under there. In the well, front. then it better have been balanced correctly. Have I will you let you know. It? I will let you know. Okay. But, yeah, so I just ordered that today, uh, which is Thursday. 
now. So, I, you know, I was planning on a weekend maiden. I, I'm just not going to rush it because that's, that's what I decided on. Damn. Oh, there's more cool stuff. Okay. So, remember we had this big discussion about fuel magnets? Yep. How we can't find them anywhere. Oh, my God. And what are you using and what are you? Well, I'm just using the normal. Get this. SAB made their own. Uh, I didn't, can you buy it separately? No. It's in the kit. Because I remember I texted Kyle. No, like, no, no. I mean, can you buy them oh, separately? I don't know. I'm sure. I texted Kyle. I was like, dude, what kind of what kind of clunk are you using? Trying to get all my shit together, you know? He's like, just stock. I'm going. And I'm picturing stock like the old triangle titty-shaped one. Yep. Yep. The metal one. And I'm going, what? Uh, okay, bro. I mean, I guess. Whatever. <laughs> and I get it out. And it's like the correct version of a mother of all suckers. It's a larger diameter on the inside, and the the fiber material is larger diameter. It's awesome. I mean, it's like the perfect clunk. Damn it. Yep. So they nailed it. No no need to buy to go do that whole clunk thing. And it's easy to get in the tank. Oh, I love it. No problem to get in. They're, they're ticking all the boxes. I know. Man. They are. They and really doesn't are. it also come with like a fuel shutoff valve? I haven't got that far in the kit, but I see lots of fuel stuff and multiple T's. So I don't know if the valve, if it comes with or if that's an option part, but I saw something about it. I'll, I'll give you an update the next one. The, the other it. thing I noticed that I, I guess it makes sense now that I think about it, but I kept seeing all these photos as people were getting them with like a big freaking hole in the right side of the canopy. I'm like, what the hell is going on there? And then I realized when I viewed it on an actual model, it's where you tune the engine from. Yeah, it's very like the canopy shape is weird. It's really weird. It looks like Papa Dremel went to town. All over the, you it's, know what it really it's reminds. It's not a typical canopy. Not, I it's mean, not it's, like a seven hundred comp canopy. That's what it looks like. It started life as, but it, you know what it looks like. It, it reminds me of all of the mods to like the gasser canopies. Ah, uh, yeah, you got to chop it for the big pipe. Yeah, and move this up around. The, and, yeah, yeah, the air filter and yeah, cut a big huh. loop around over here and a big. It's very odd. I mean, it's the normal shape, but it's just. Yeah. Sweet, dude. I'm excited. And you, got, you get you get the engine rebuilt? Nope. That's going to be tonight or tomorrow night. I'll do that, and then I'll, I'll have all the mechanics done. I'll, I'll get all my servo wires cut and get the fly barless system mounted and that portion of it. You know, this is also Nick's first personal venture. Now, I've helped a lot of people, and I've, I've tuned more than my fair share of the NitroGov uh, in the V-bar, but this is the first time I will be setting it up. There you go. So, yeah, I'm I'm pumped. Uh, everything else, I'm going to sit down. Yeah, packs. Ugh. Oh, my God. Let's let's do a pack tangent. I think we need a pack tangent. What? Where are all... So, I, I'm sitting down when Justin and I were talking, and, you know, we've both been like, Dude, I got to buy batteries. I know. 
So do I. Oh, I got to buy batteries. Now, luckily, the most important ones to me I can get right now, which are the 6S 2730Cs, which are for the 500. So I'll be good there because I got to make sure I have fresh packs for Othello for that timing system. But then, you know, then after the very quick realization that I'm destroying 12S packs with how I am having fun flying the 770. Oh, man. Eating them alive. Yeah. I mean, you can fly that thing pretty decent on 12S. But I don't fly it pretty decent. I don't know what it is. I just, like beat that thing like it owes me money and i love it that is awesome it is like a big version of the 380 yeah i just honk on it and i can't help it it's like i can't fly it slow i just don't want to so uh yeah then comes the search 7s 4500 probably in my opinion what is the most common 7s pack i mean right Yeah, right about there because you do the math and it's, a, a you know, in terms of power, it's approximately, uh, or I'm sorry, watt hours, energy. It's about the same as a 5,000, you know, 5,300 6S. Mm-hmm. Nowhere. Nope. No one. Like, obviously, I'm like, oh, I'll go buy me some OptiPowers. No. <clears throat> no, nothing. I'm like, oh, well, God, I, I really like... Yeah, you know, okay, I'm on the OptiPower team. I, I really need to be flying these, but at the end of the day, I mean, if, if it comes down to not flying, sorry, I'm going to have to buy something else and I'll use them as my backups and I'll, you know, I'll buy Optis right when they come available, but it doesn't matter. It you is so find, infuriating, Nick. You I, can't I, find so, that pack. And and this is actually a, a this is a yearly occurrence um, in the speed community. Right about this time, people start trying to buy packs. And for a seven hundred, like you said, four thousand to five thousand seven S is the target. Okay, so let's let's go through our options. OptiPower, great packs. Been flying them for three years now. Uh, they're never in stock. I mean, those freaking 4,400 7SL packs, the minute they're in, they're out of stock, which tells me that they're not stocking all that many of them. Mm-hmm. All right. So then, you know, you can go with a 5,000, but 5,000, we're talking about like 950 to 1,000 grams per pack. Okay. Four and a half pounds of batteries. Eh, not so much. It better be an 800. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Pulse. So Pulse has lately been, or I shouldn't say lately, but at least in the last year, uh, increasing their performance, it would seem, based on the data that I've got and other people are showing. And they tend to have a decent stock. But it appears as if they are, they haven't said this, but it's speculation. I'm just looking at how the stock goes. They haven't had the 4500, 45C 7Ss in stock now for probably three or four months or more. They've now got a 5000, 45, and 65C, huge, expensive. And then they've got a 4100 7S, 45C, that's more expensive than the 5000s. 
Don't have an explanation for that one. It's the only one in stock. Go figure. And see, I could like I could probably fudge those on the seven hundred. Like if I wanted to go seven S on my seven hundred, that might be I could I could make the forty one hundreds probably work. Yep, I think you probably could. And I could as well, but uh, it's it's getting close at forty one hundred, okay? So then what's next? Gen's ace. Where? Where do you get those from? Hobby Parts doesn't carry 7S. Uh, Progressive is just getting their stock up, and, I, and I'm and i going to make a call uh, to Robin to see whether he's going to eventually stock 7S or maybe even if he can special order them. But right now, can't get them there. You go search 7S Gen Zace, and everything that's available is in Europe, and it's all out of stock. So there's nothing there. Uh, what other packs do we have? Thunder Power. <laughs> Nuff said. <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. Um, Rev Electrics. I'm going to have a moment of silence here for a second. Rev Electrics. <laughs> uh, I do not have a good experience with those packs multiple experiences okay so maybe the uh, graph maybe the graphene maybe the graphene's great but right? you can't but get them yet you can't get them yet and even if i did want to go there the packs that i would like are out of stock and it's really difficult to get comfortable with a two-week lead time on packs halfway across the world when the dimensions written on the website aren't always what they actually come out to be. Yeah. It's not like... So... And your dimensions have to be pretty precise. Yes, they do. All right. I I don't know what the hell is going on, but I'm pissed about it. So where the hell are all the 7S packs? Dude, I even went to Hobby King. Okay, like, this is uh, uh, let me let me be clear, guys. We're talking about TDR two packs, okay? Yeah. Th- this model, fully built, will probably have approximately four thousand dollars worth of hardware in it, and I'm ready to go and buy some Turnigy Nanotechs, and I can't even get those. Sorry. I agree, and it, you know what's messed up? Oh, the. Oh, the, you know, the hobby's going down and we're all slowing down and we can't afford this or that. Bitches, we're trying to buy some batteries, yo. Yeah, make them available, right? Yeah. And it's a common complaint because it's funny. I, I've been talking to Chago about it, too. Um, and he he tells me the same thing. He's been getting a bunch of people in the speed community say, hey, Santiago, where are you getting your packs from? Now, he's smart. When he buys, he buys like $2,000 worth of packs, and then he puts them all in his freezer. Yeah. that's. I buy $1,000 worth of packs and destroy them in two months, and then think I'm going to get new fresh packs to put in my freezer for competition season and get screwed. So that's my packs rant. Um, I'm sure I'm going to get a little bit of hate mail. I can already name at least two people who I know I'm going to get it from, but I will leave them <laughs> unnamed. 
uh, and we'll just see what we can come up with here. If you or anyone you know has information leading to the location of 7-cell 4,500 milliamp hour packs, please contact us immediately. (laughs) Uh, I don't even know what to say. You, oh, it, so uh, I'm going to tell you another act of desperation. It's it's so bad as well, Nick, that I've begun sizing out Hobby King packs of of varying cell counts to add up to 14s. Oh God! Or 15s. So I'm I'm thinking to myself, okay, hold on. Six plus five is eleven. And then I could throw a four cell in there with the five and I'd get 15. This is bad. This is, this can't end well. Ridiculous. Sorry, dude. Although I'm right there with you. So manufacturers, if you're listening, get your seven S packs in stock. I know that everyone's focusing on the, it's 4S, FPV, or whatever, but, you know, have a little yep. love. Yep. For the biggins. All right. I think I'm done. I think that's my update for the week. All right. I can't, I can't think of anything else. Nice. I did get flying in. I flew last weekend. It was great. I mean, I've been pretty much flying every week. Not so much during the week now. Which that's the, the the one bad part about my new job is that I can't fly during the middle of the day at lunch like I used to be able right. to. I'm off way earlier, so pretty soon I'll start going out to the field after work to get a couple flights in. But kind of that beginning of spring for me and us, it's like home projects, trying to nail all these home projects and get them done before all the traveling starts. I hear you, man. I I actually now that I think about it I didn't get any flying in this week and I've been planning on flying during the week and just haven't gotten around to it so but tomorrow's a day off so we'll see and and it looks like this weekend's going to be good weather so hopefully we will both get some flying in yes all right all right let's do some news news This week's news is brought to you by Superiority.com. Okay, let's see. What do we got up on the old news list? You got a fairly decent decent list of stuff here, man. Yeah, I think that's because we skipped a week. On news, yeah, that's yeah. true. So that helps make for big lists. Uh, so we've got a link here to a very unfortunate post that... Uh, that someone put up in Helifreak, but it looks like Airtronics is no longer doing air radios or supporting the air. What? Yep. Are they going to change their name to Groundtronics? <laughs> I mean, that's unfortunate, isn't yeah. it? You know what I mean? Like, it, it, yeah, no, that's I. I get it. You know, like that's like Heli Direct deciding that they're going to go into planks only. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Or like Canadian Tire up in Canada. I don't get that. You have to know about how that is. 
Yeah, I'm, I I don't know what the hell the you're talking about. Okay. But at any rate, yeah. So that sucks because, man, the SD10G was, like, freaking incredible when it came out. And I would have liked to see them keep pushing. That thing was ahead of its time. Way ahead. In terms of capabilities. Yep. I way, mean, there, way are still, there still aren't, I, I don't think all of the current radios out had all of the stuff that that thing can do. Nope. Nope. Awesome radio. So I hate to see it happen, but it is what it is. Uh, this is this one's pretty interesting. So Hobbytown, USA, our favorite place, is now kind of like doing this weird m- merging with Amy. I, really? Yeah. So what it looks like is they're kind of merging, but then Amy will will deal with all the online stuff. Hobbytown is going to be kind of like the actual brick and mortar, like the physical stores. And what it's going to do is try and get more A-Main stuff into the Hobbytown USA's. So at first I was like, oh, oh yeah, whatever. But then I thought about it, like, well, wait, hey, wait a minute. Does this mean I'm actually going to be able to go into a Hobbytown USA and find anything that I might want to buy other than CA? Yeah, or fuel tube? Yeah, CA and fuel tube. That's the only thing they've got that's worth a shit. That would be pretty cool. I agree, dude. And and you know, the other thing is that if they're going to actually start stocking more stuff that we like Mm -hmm. i gotta believe that and it's not going to happen overnight but it will eventually result in people that are knowledgeable in that field applying for jobs there god i hope so because yeah dude it's rough right now i mean they suck oh hobby town is horrible yeah the only thing that they are good at is selling Selling stuff to people that know nothing. Yep. But anyone that's in a hobby already, it's it's worthless. So I agree. I, I mean, I think it could be really cool. It could be a now it might end up being a little bit of here's my air quotes chain store. But you know what? Damn man, any any way to get more physical hobby shops. In areas, to me, is a good thing. Yeah, because the the problem with brick and mortar is not only do they suffer from uh, sales tax, which mm-hmm. up here is freaking horrible, uh, but they also suffer from a general lack of knowledge of the kinds of products that we would want to do, you know, business on in helis. And uh, they also, I, I think... The stuff that they do carry is gateway-ish, and people quickly grow out of that, right? Okay, so you, you pick up an MCPX. Mm-hmm. You you go crazy, get addicted, you spend a couple hundred dollars in parts at your local hobby town, then you realize you need something bigger, they can't help you, you go online. Yeah, and then you never go back. You never go back. And so I think if there were stores out there that did cater to, well, dude, you know, remote control hobbies. Yeah. You remember Dave oh, down yeah. in my area? Oh, man, that was oh, awesome. Oh, my God, that was awesome. He was a heli guy. 
he carried everything heli. Yeah, I spent so he, much money in there that I had no intention of spending. Yep. But it was like, ooh, they got a BEC. Exactly. Well, I wasn't going to put a and, BEC. And you could talk shop with them, too. Yeah. Like, hey, hey, have you tried this one? Or what do you think about these blades? Or, you know, so on and so forth. So it was it was very inviting, and you felt comfortable, and sure, it kept you coming back. But... The current hobby town structure doesn't do that. I would be happy if I could consistently have a place to buy supplies. You know what I mean? Like if I'm out of servo connectors or CA or connectors and heat shrink and, you know, that like Nick personally doesn't need anyone to know anything there other than, hey, where is this? I don't need your opinion on why you think well, that mo- I should. Yeah, but most of my hobby towns down here have that kind of stuff. See, mine doesn't. Mine's just, it's horrid. I mean, it's wow, horrible. Wow, you really got the shaft, dude. Because, like, I think I was telling you guys a couple of days ago, I can buy 30% cool power at my hobby town. Yeah, see, I can't even for buy. For 27 an- bucks a gallon. No, I can't buy an EC5. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you've got it a lot worse than I do. I can go to Hobby Town and get all my electrical connectors, wire, you know, um, crimping stuff, fuel tube. Yeah, no, no, no. Nitro. And maybe this will be a good part of this is that with A-Main involved, they can kind of standardize. Like, okay, you guys are going to at least carry all of this. And then do some, you know, maybe some custom tailoring to your area, whatever people have. I, I think it could be really cool. I look, I, I look forward to it. And, and quite honestly, it'd be kind of cool to have. And, and this is weird. I mean, I got a kid. I got a seven-year-old. Give us a place to go play and look. Yep. I don't have to have. I, I'm interested in this even from a non-heli side of it. You know, I can't, if I want to go pick up, like Auden keeps reminding me, you know, we're talking about Othello and he's like, oh, which fun fly is that? And I, the the way that I help him remember, it's like, oh, that's the one where dad flew your quad on the roof of the building. Oh yeah, true. And he's like, oh, okay. And then, you know, I, I keep saying to myself, I really need to just go get him another little quad, a small one like that, right? Yep. I can't even go anywhere around me to go do that. So give us a place they where- They don't m- even sell quads? They do, but it's like they're always the old ones. Wow. Now I feel really bad for you guys up there. They don't carry any of the new stuff. It's always, you know, one gen old or two gens old. Huh. So, and then, you know, I'm not going to know which one, but I just want to be able to watch. Hey, what's the difference between that and that? Uh, You know, oh, this one's got safe and this one's got this and this one's brushless. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's get that one. That's all I need to know. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. I do think it would be pretty cool. Well, it'll also be nice, too, because the Hobby Town website is horrid. As well, so I'm glad A Main is taking it over. Yeah, cool. So there's another lipo logger out. This one is actually called Lipo Logger by E Solutions. Pretty cool. It's got a lot of information in there. Uh, helis, you can do flight count, flight time, average flight time. 
you know, the date that you purchased it. Again, just for tracking flights, um, models, flight count, and battery logs. So if you're, uh, people ask us which one we use. Uh, uh, the one we use is called TechDad, right? Yep, the TechDad RC flight log. It looks very similar to this, truthfully. Although very I'll be honest, I kind of like this layout. I'm wondering if I can do it and not track lipos. Oh, you know what I like? Justin here, it's got a screen that says five days since last flight. Maybe I don't want to be reminded of that because yeah, it, it like, will nope. often be double digits. Don't want it. No. Don't want it. That one's not nope. for me. Hey, but if you want a three-bladed head and tail, it looks like Protos is working on one. Alex put some pictures up on HeliFreak uh, for the three-blade flans out there. The Protos Max Ev... Ev- is that Evolution? Evolution. Evolution. I think it's probably Italian, but still. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to butcher it anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he's been uh, prototype testing three-bladed head, three-bladed tail for all you protos people. That thing's definitely gaining some traction and some ground. And will the three-bladed head be able to run 800s? Dude, really? Yes. No. Yeah. Why not? Because no. you can. Yeah, I guess. You know someone's going to do that. Yeah. It'd be someone like you. Yep. So if you are traveling, now this is kind of funny. If you're traveling to the U.S., um, you can now register at the FAA before you couldn't. Uh, for the non-U.S. pilots, now you can, but <laughs> you can't do it from your home out of country because a non-U.S. IP is blocked. Yep, which makes no sense at all. So if you come to America, you can register. But you have to wait till you get here. Ugh. <sighs> Or use a proxy IP, but whatever. Ah, yeah, painful, painful. But I know that question was raised, you know, about the people traveling for, you know, like for Urcha and stuff like that. Well, I can't even register. If this is a law, I can't even register. That means I can't fly in the United States. Well, it looks like they're they're slowly getting around to it. Now, Justin, you put this news item up, and I would like you to talk about it. I, you know, I don't know what. I can really say other than I'm completely confused, but Gowie this week posted on their Facebook wall a new head that they're working on or developing or will be out soon, and it is a ceramic-coated head. Now, I'll be honest. I actually think it looks really cool. Oh, yeah. Like the color and the texture, I'm, I'm surprised, but I like it. It's it's pretty sexy, but why would you coat the head in ceramic? What what is the purpose of that? Is it just a it's an aesthetic thing? You're also talking about the company that did a gold edition. Fair Keep point. That in mind, that's true. Yes, you're right. But this one, I I just I don't know. It I'm, looks I'm, actually really cool. It looks badass. I agree. 
it's got kind of a and you know maybe the way i'm looking at it here i'm getting a little bit of a weird lighting thing but it initially looks white but in reality i think it almost has a slight gray to it Mm -hmm. it just looks really cool and it's matte so i i don't know that's that's about all i have to say i i'd like to see what it's all about I really like to understand what the justification is. I don't think I'd ever buy one because I really like the black ones, but it's cool looking. Nice. Maybe it's just a because they can. That's right. All righty. That wraps it up for this week's news. Sweet. This week's news is brought to you by Superiority.com. For superior quality web and mobile development and design with a 100% money-back guarantee that's always on schedule and budget. Get the most from your website from www.superiority.com or www.dudemanlarry.com. Not kidding. Check him out. So we got some listener questions and... I think we should let, let's do the listener questions first. Yep. Let's let's bang those out here. And then we've got a question that's been up on our list of things to For talk like about. A month? Yeah. Horribly long time. Horribly long time. Okay. So uh the first question here is from Ross Cooper Smith. Now you know what's cool? Oh yeah, Ross. You know what's really cool about this? What? This is like genuine this is the real deal ross we haven't listened to either of these like none of us have at all so when you when we are entirely unprepared completely unprepared so you're gonna get the the raw deal right here hi guys this is ross cooper smith from the uk although i think most people know me by my online name of mixablix and i've got a question about bearings Now, I've heard you guys talk about bearings before. You've discussed the quality of bearings, ABEC ratings, and some of the upgrades available in the market. But what I really want to ask about are the fundamentals. Now, in most kits, there are two types of bearing. You'll have radial bearings and thrust bearings, but I'm not an engineer. So as far as I'm concerned, they're just round things that make shit spin more easily. So my first question is, What is the difference between thrust and radial bearings? Why do we need both? And what are the strengths and weaknesses of the two different designs? And on that topic, where should they be used in a model? On blade grips, I know you'll often be using both types and they have to be fitted in a particular order. Why is that? And what would the negative symptoms be if you made a mistake in the assembly? I've also heard about people upgrading to thrust bearings on the main shaft and I'm curious what what advantages that upgrade brings and I'm finding that the longer I'm in the hobby the more I learn Um, even with something as simple as a bearing it seems there are a lot of subtle little details I was in the hobby for three years before I realized you have to pay attention to which way round you assemble a thrust bearing on the head of my Gowie X3 The inner race of the thrust bearing has a larger inside diameter than the outer race. I know to look out for that now, but I'm curious why. 
And I've heard on a similar note that reversing the bearing in a tail assembly is a common cause of having a tail that binds up a little under load, causing a wag that you just can't dial out on the flybonner system. But on the bench, it's very hard to spot. You've got a mechanical issue because everything's going to feel completely smooth. Finally, I also see there's debate around which way round you have the bearing cage. A lot of people on the forums advise having the balls towards the main shaft to trap the grease. But on my X3 at least, the instructions from Gary have it the other way round, which I understand provides better support for the ball bearings under load. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, both on which way round the bearing cage should go, and also whether there are any other subtle little details that you need to look out for when installing bearings on a model. So thank you for listening guys. I think it's been a pretty long question and I look forward to hearing what you have to say. What do you think, man? Damn! That, you know what, Ross, mad props, dude, because that is a freaking question right there. Awesome question. And there, I mean, all of the little ones hidden in there are really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think we can we can hit this one. No problem whatsoever. Go so what, yeah, why, go don't I, why don't I get started here? Yeah. Okay. And, and for the record, I may not remember all of the individual questions, but we'll do our best here. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, radial versus thrust. Uh, a radial bearing is, as you guys know, the typical, what, what most people consider to be a bearing. Uh, outer race, inner race for the shaft, and a carrier with balls that roll in between the two races. Right On the inside of the bearing, there's a cupped or a concave shape that the balls roll in, sort of a, a track, if you will. Um, radial bearings are there primarily uh, to uh, allow shafts to rotate within them that do not have uh, substantial axial loads. In other words, when loads are changing, the the loads are cha- are causing the shaft to move uh, perpendicular to its long axis. Okay, so think about uh, the tail output shaft, all right? That sits inside some radial bearings. And if you were to go behind your helicopter and press on that tail output shaft perpendicular to its length, so uh, towards the head, then you would be loading the bearings radially. Mm -hmm. They're designed to handle that kind of radial loading at high speed, at high power outputs, Uh, And they keep things running smoothly. What they cannot handle is axial loading. Okay. So in other words, loading the shaft along the long axis or the rotational axis. Now, in a lot of these designs, the tail shaft included, the tolerances are such that it's a nice slip fit. Mm -hmm. Um, There is no expansion during heating. So we don't eventually get to the point where they bind together uh, and there is no appreciable axial load. However, in a situation where you do have axial load, um, that is a substantial portion of the total load. Then when you apply that axial load to a radial bearing, what you're basically doing is forcing the inner race 
to move relative to the outer race. And there's no real feature inside the design that prevents those two from moving except for the balls that are captured. Yeah, we do it all the time. We do. And so what you end up getting is over enough duration under this load, you will get wearing of those balls. They'll get flat sided. They'll get, you know, basically non-spherical. It starts to feel chunky. You may generate some uh, metal dust or shavings in there that that makes it uh, not run as smoothly. That's the failure mode of a radial bearing when you're loading it with substantial axial force. Mm -hmm. So that's where the thrust bearing comes in, Ross. And the thrust bearing is, uh, when you think about it in in the terms that I just gave, it is a bearing that's designed to handle force along the length of the shaft or along the rotational axis. So now the balls are rotating in races that are on either side of it instead of on the inside and outside like the radial bearing. And those thrust bearings are then going to take up that thrust load so that it is not transferred primarily to the radial bearings and the radial bearings last longer. So you're you're going to find thrust bearings in most of the time thrust bearings are used in a rotating shaft system that is captured in some way or that has an applied load when it's in operation. Like the head. Like the head or like the tail. Yeah. Okay. So you spin up the head. On the ground, it doesn't do all that much, right? Because there's no load on the grips. But as you spin up the head, the grips, because of centripetal force, uh, are being pulled away from the center of the head. And that loads the entire bearing stack up against the bolt and the washer that's keeping all this together on the spindle. Big time. Lots of load. We're we're talking about hundreds of pounds up to a thousand or more pounds of load per grip, depending on the head speed, the weight of the blades, the size of the model, all of that stuff. And you would simply bind a radial bearing. Like it would not take that force if it even physically stayed together you could even run the risk of pulling the inner race completely separate from the outer race yep completely destroying it yeah so the thrust bearings are there to take that load instead and still allow the grip to rotate smoothly on the axis so that when you're spinning at that head speed you can still make pitch adjustments and it doesn't affect anything Mm -hmm. now you know you you made a point, um, Nick, that I want to go back to, which is we do it all the time on our radial bearings. We do. These designs are not free of axial load, and the bearings do get stressed, and it is part of the reason why you will eventually need to replace those radial bearings. But the difference is most of these applications, the load, the axial load on radial bearings is such a small number compared to the radial load that it doesn't play a significant role and you can get hundreds of flights out of it before you start noticing yeah. hey, you know i got a bit of a notchy bearing i should change that now out. i love his main shaft example because you know like he says well wait a minute why don't we have them on the main shaft in my opinion you are correct 
We absolutely should. I mean, it makes sense to me. I'm, yep. We're taking 12, 13 pounds driving it at, you know, 100 miles an hour, let's say, and then just completely reversing the the axial load on those main shaft bearings by doing a by doing a wall. It, it's yep. insane. So why don't we? Two things. Cost and weight. Period. You start adding bearings, you start adding weight. They really do add up. Not to mention it's not just the bearings. It's an additional support structure for them. Now you have to figure out, okay, how am I going to incorporate a thrust bearing into that main shaft because we can't really like quite right on the top because of swashplate travel. So now you're putting it kind of packing it into the model a little bit more and it, it just really does all start to add up. And you know, same thing for the tail. It wouldn't really be that bad of an idea to have them on the tail in my opinion. Yeah. It's just, it's a cost and complexity and, and mass thing. You're absolutely right. I mean, have you ever seen uh, a thrust bearing that, that fits a 12 or 14 millimeter shaft? <laughs> yeah. That's a monster freaking bearing, It dude. is. It's a really, really big bearing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, but again, as you pointed out, Ross, there are some models that very few that do have them in them, or like a good example, Patrick at KDE. Mm-hmm. famous for making aftermarket thrust bearing upgrades. Yep. Right? Uh, the old T-Rex 700 series, you could buy a KDE uh, bearing block set that included both radial and thrust bearings. So it, it's it's out there, but I think the, the, the reason why uh, we generally don't need it, even if you wanted to accept that, uh, uh, that, additional cost and weight is because of all of the bearings the radial bearings on the main shaft are quite beefy and you can even see lately the manufacturers have been taking it a step further now most models are 12 millimeter shafts and you can choose a bunch of different ods of those bearings i don't know if you've seen like uh the ods of the well bearings on the goblins for example are huge on the gowies I mean, they are massive balls in there, so they can take a lot more abuse. So that that's the situation there. I think we should also add, he didn't mention it, but l- let's quickly throw in, because we used to hear about this a lot. Like even back a couple years ago, this was a big topic, and much anymore, we really don't. But that's the rating on the bearings. So you have your ABEC, or everyone just kind of calls it ABEX. Are they ABEC 2, ABEC 3, ABEC 5 bearings? You know, back, uh, I think this all became a topic when a line was ruling the earth. Because a line was, the bearings were just, they were garbage. I mean, yeah. bad. So we would go to aftermarket sources like uh, RC bearings, which, by the way, if you're ever looking for bulk bearings, uh, there's a little tip right there. You amazing. Can, amazing. That's right. Amazing. Take a look at your models. You'll you kind of notice that certain bearing sizes can be used in multiple places. And if you're, st- you know, if you're flying the 450s like that size, 
T-Rex 450s, Gowie X3s. I don't know about you guys, but you take a crash and you wipe out a set of main bearings. Crash, main bearings. Crash, main bearings. Do yourself a favor. Check out RC bearings. Get your size. You're not going to be able to look it up by application, but you can just look at it by size. And you can get like six or eight of them for the price that most of these manufacturers sell for two. And you can pick your ABEC rating on them. The higher the ABEC rating, the higher the quality of the bearing is. And, um, yeah, it used to be a really big deal. Now, I mean, I have, I mean, I, I can only speak for SAB. Uh, I never had a problem with any Thunder Tiger stuff. I mean, Justin, have any of your models had marginal bearings? No, I, I would say generally, well, how about I put, I'll put it this way. The life of the bearing is longer than the mean time between crashes. Okay, that's fair. And as I know how to drive it in quite well, I usually destroy the bearings in the process. Yeah. See, back in the day, it was like, I mean, you you just took some of these models and you bought them and you put new bearings in them right away. Yep. Because they were just, you know, the blades and the lines and stuff like that. So... Again, keep in mind the ABEC rating. You don't have to go all the way to five, but it really is a much better bearing. To me, like in tail cases, if you can do that for yours, far worth it. Torque tube drive gears on your, like your vertical tail drive shaft. Yep. Yep. Way worth it. Those things are spinning, spinning. And uh, I've had tons of those bearings fail. So the best quality bearing you can put in there. Highly recommended. Yeah, and and just a, a a little bit a little bit more on that from a purely technical standpoint. The 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 ABEC thing, you know, what what is considered a reasonable number for that? Without getting into the extreme technical detail, what the ABEC ratings give you is effectively the tolerances that are held in the manufacture of the bearing of the balls, the races. Um, how tight the tolerances are, how much total runout there can be. And so when you go with a lower grade bearing, you have larger tolerances, which means there's more, I'll I'll use the word slop in the bearing. More slop means that as it it, uh, endures these load changes, there's more movement and Mm. we're going to cause more wear. And so there is value in running higher ABEC class bearings if you're if you're willing to afford it. And to your point, Nick, RC bearings has got it all there, right? Yeah. Ceramic bearings, don't bother. Yeah. Sorry. They're made for high speed, high temperature applications where most lubricant uh does not get you very far or doesn't survive. Not what we're dealing with here. No. But I will give a huge shout out, all you OS people, the RC bearings, the stainless engine bearings. Oh, love them. Love them. Love them. If you ever have had a rear bearing blowout on your OS, which means you've owned an OS, (laughs) then these things are awesome to the point where my OS 55 OS 50 and OS 55, 
I would buy them, pull them straight out of the box, brand new, and swap them for the RC bearings. They're cheap and incredible, incredible engine bearings. Absolutely, dude. Cool. All righty. Well, thank you again, uh, Ross Cooper Smith. We really appreciate it. Great question. Let's move on to the next one. I think it's clear that within this past year, Rev Electrics is taking battery charging to a whole new level. Within the last year, we have seen the all-new bump charging system announced and the release of the GT500 charger. The bump charger is something that no one has ever done or seen before. The list of features includes a complete touchscreen interface, charger setup with just the bump of a battery, and V-Bar battery ID integration for all you V-Bar fans out there. So, for more information, be sure to check out RevElectrics.com. This one is from Mark Bellamy. Are we ready? We, again, no Do idea. It. Don't even have a clue. Hi, guys. This is Mark Citizen 688 I am relatively new to the hobby and have been flying for a year. I couldn't find an answer to a problem I am having in the forums, and perhaps other people have experienced this, so I thought I would share in an audio question. I've noticed that my tail will sometimes go into a sloppy wag back and forth several inches. It usually happens when the heli is in slow fight or a hover. My tail is dialed in very well. It flies great in all flight modes, including fast forward flight, 3D, TikToks, backward flight, loops, rolls, etc. My tail holds really solid and never blows out even on huge tail slides. The gain on the tail is set just below where the tail would buzz in certain hard maneuvers. However, occasionally the tail will just get all loose and will not hold still. I can't seem to recreate the circumstances to nail down why that happens. I'm able to stop it by sharply moving the tail left and right a couple of times or maybe doing a piro and then it just stops. And then my tail is all locked in solid again. I have seen it occur on my 700 heli with a V-Bar Neo, my 450 heli with an Icon, and a friend's 450 with a Spectrum AR7200. The only reason is it is an issue is because I like to practice F3C precision hovering circuits, and sometimes this tail issue comes up in the middle of a sequence. If I were in a competition, I would be penalized for doing a Piro during a sequence that does not call for a Piro, so you can understand the problem. If this is something that can be dialed out by adjusting PID settings and other parameters within the flight controller, or is this just a sensor getting confused and is something we all have to put up with? I have listened to the podcasts on tuning PID and tried adjusting the settings, but I have not been able to eliminate this problem. Is there a particular setting I should focus on? Thank you guys for the great podcast and all you do for the hobby. Please keep up the good work. I will see you this year at Othello and again at RCHN4 in Dayton this September. Awesome. Nice question. Yeah. Nice. And uh, yeah, we will see you at Othello for sure, my man. Absolutely. This so, week, in fact. Yeah, this week. Well, you know, I think this one can actually be tackled from a couple different directions. Yep. Um, if he was all on one fly barless system, my gut would say you've got an eye gain issue. Generally yes. speaking, when it comes to fly barless tuning, your wags can be um, put into two categories. Uh, fast and aggressive or slow and uh, kind of, you know, metronome style, just took, took, took back and forth. Uh, fast ones are generally a pee gain issue, whereas the slower, or we might call it hunting, you'll hear people use that term, uh, those are going to be uh, an eye gain problem, usually a little bit too high. But 
you know, he kind of threw me for a loop when he said he had this on the icon and on the V bar. So that's going to give me two more things that it can bring up. Um, one, absolutely, this can potentially cause it. Not saying it is, but governors, believe it or not, depending on yes. what electric governor you are using, this can be caused by a governor tuning problem. My first and number one thing that I would try in this situation is disable your governor. Fly it around on some V curves or a flat throttle curve or whatever for a couple flights and see if it goes away. This can actually be the governor algorithm hunting or out of tune. Maybe it's an adjustable style. We didn't go into what, uh, what brand ESCs he has. Um, if you can tune it, then I would start messing around with the tuning in your electric governor. Um, if the problem does not go away, I would probably do this anyway, but I believe it's time to check your mechanics. With V-Bar, in my opinion, most of the time now, now if we were back in the in the 4.0 days or even the five early 5.3 days, I would be like, okay, this is a tuning issue. I can tell you very, very, very rarely with if you're running V-Bar 6.0, are you going to have odd symptoms like this that will need to be tuned out? It's just not near as common. So go back and check your mechanics. Especially, <laughs> and Justin, we missed this in the last bearing question. He asked, why are the radial bearings uh, larger on the inner diameter, on the inner one, than on the outer one. Oh, for the, you mean the thrust bearings? Yes, the thrust bearings. Yeah, Excuse thrust me. Thrust bearings. Yep. Yeah. So um, this can, when you start to get binding in the tail, this can absolutely be a symptom of that as well. Even stuff that was fine 20 flights ago, you'd be surprised. Or, and this is another big one, I just ran into this. Slop can cause this as well. When you load a tail, you take the slop out of it. So it can hold perfectly fine. Remember a couple episodes ago, I was talking about all these tail problems that I was having. And it was the ginormous amount of slop in the gear train of, of my tail servo. Because I'd driven the thing in half a dozen times. And over all these flights and all these times, it had got a bunch of slop in it. Well, guess yep. what? It would hold fine under load, but it would just sit there and hunt. It's like it couldn't find its home. So really, really go back in, check your mechanics, and disable the governor and start there with a baseline. That's my recommendation. What about you? No, I think that you got it spot on. I mean, the the one thing I would I typically like to do is if I suspect that I've got an eye gain issue, then I check it by going into fast forward flight and doing full throw pyros. Okay. If my eye gain is too high, then I'm going to expect to see some form of whipping or inconsistency in pyro rate as it moves around the circle. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so then I say, okay, well, then what I'm seeing in the hover or in slow flight, like he's describing, might actually be a too high eye gain thing. That lets me go and tune the eye gain. Uh, if the eye gain, which is a quick and easy thing to check, is not part of the problem, 
then I agree with you. Now you got to go to the mechanical side of things. And unfortunately, there is a long list of stuff that that can cause it. I mean, you can have it could be your tail servo could be a tail servo dead band thing. Okay, Um, it could be that your servo arm ball distance in comparison to the electronic gain in the fly barless system is not optimized correctly. Typically, you will see this if you have. Uh, an excessively long uh, ball to center distance, which means (laughs) (laughs) I have an excessively long ball to center. An excessively long ball to tip distance. (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) If you have an excessively long ball to center distance, uh, meaning your, your servo horn the 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 linkage is connected way far out on your servo horn then you can get into a situation where you can tune the gains to work great under load like you said Nick but in small situations uh where you're just getting very small perturbations that it's trying to correct it can't make a small enough movement because the resolution is lower mm-hmm. and so what ends up happening is it bobs back and forth Okay. Now the good part is you'll usually see that in uh, relatively low overall main gain numbers. Yes. Like if you start doing a little bit of research and people are like, oh, I'm sitting around 70, 80, whatever, and you're going, dude, I meant like, I cannot get mine over 60. Why is mine at 60 and everyone else is running 70 or 80? Ding, well, ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Big clue there. Big clue. Go change your ball to center distance. Other thing that you could have. As, as you mentioned, right, mechanical binding all along the tail. You got to check it. Under load, that binding does not provide all that significant of a perturba- perturbation to the motion of the linkages because you're doing big changes, right? You're doing a pyro flip or you're doing hard stops or whatever it is. Uh, the, the linkages, the throws that they're moving over are significant. But again, when you're sitting on the ground or cl- or hovering and you're doing, you're just letting it do its small corrections, then a small amount of friction or binding can play a role. And then uh, the other thing that you want to look for, and this is the rarest, but believe it or not, I've seen it before, that if you have, and I'm not saying that this is what he's got, because if it is, then we got a big problem across three helis with three fly barless systems. But I have seen issues in the head manifest as slow tail wags in a hover. And it is almost always a slightly bent spindle. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. So uh, I've seen three separate helis in the last seven years that that has been the case on. And it took no shortage of ripping people's hair out, mine included, to figure it out. Uh, So... Don't always think that because the tail's moving, it's the tail's fault. Much to to your point about the governor, Nick. Oh, yeah. You want to start simple, but when simple doesn't work, then you got to get a little bit more crazy with it. Yep. And if you have uh, access to vibration log, check that as well. That's That's a pretty common symptom when you start getting a little bit of hunting in the tail that you could potentially have some vibrations to. Yeah, that's true. It's it's usually sort of 
just on the edge of the vibration being problematic because yep. when you've got a nasty vibration, it tends to manifest as a drift. Yes. But if it's just a if it's getting there, but it's not quite full on crazy. Yeah, I, I suppose you could get some wagging going on there. Yep. Yep. Cool. Awesome. I dig that man. Guys, yeah, we need question. more like that. Come on. Yeah. The, the nerd kind. They Questions the at rchelynation.com. We all know crashing sucks, but the only thing worse than crashing is missing something during the repair and watching it pile right back in. Well, guess what? The greatness that is the Soco Heli tool can save you time and from making a costly mistake during your diagnostic process. Simply slap on the Soco Heli tool after a crash and you can check your main shaft, spindle shaft, servo horn teeth, and servo gears without even removing the head from the heli. That simple five minute check can save you hundreds and hundreds of dollars and get you more stick time in the long run. So remember, if you want your equipment to be reliable, then you have to be a good heli mechanic. And if you want to be a good heli mechanic, you have to have good tools. Soko Heli Tools, because quality and precision is worth it. Get your Soko Heli Tools at www.socohelitools.com. Yeah. Okay. Let's do. Let's do one more nerd one before we get out of here. All right. This is that one we've been putting off for quite a while, so we uh, we got to do it. How do you determine? What head speed to fly at? Now, I know your answer. (laughs) As fast as I can without it coming apart. (laughs) But let's talk talk normal 3D, even sport flight. I mean, any other situation. How do you really determine? Now, I think this is a, a, a big issue when you're going into a new class of model. I mean, I remember starting out, man, it was 450s, 450s. I knew my head speeds. I knew everything. Then when I got like a 500, it's like, uh, I don't even know where to start. Like, I really don't know where right. to start. So, you know, how do we personally determine, you know, how does Nick determine what head speed I want to fly at? Well, it's changed a little bit over the years. And I think I've kind of settled into what I consider a norm. And the bad part is there's no quick way to figure it out. My process is probably what I would call one of the longest processes. And that is I have to get used to the model. Mm -hmm. You have to feel out the model. My general point is I fly at the lowest head speed possible that the model will still tune properly and react the way that I want it to in the air. But I don't fly very much over that. Maybe 50 RPM over that. Just so that I can accommodate for you know, maybe a weak battery or uh, you know, battery performance because it's cold outside versus warm outside or something like that. But for the most part, I tune it, you know, I'll do my air quotes hardest maneuvers and try and tune the model, try and tune the head to get out the bobbles. And that's what I'm looking for, the little bobbles and the wobbles. And if I just can't tune them out, then I go up a little bit more. 
And once I hit, because as we've talked about in the past, mm-hmm. tuning gets way easier the faster it's spinning. It's just how it is. Yep. It's yep. it's much harder to tune at lower RPMs. And I think that's why inevitably a lot of people fly probably a lot higher RPM than they need to is because it's just easier to tune at. Oh, I just do this and I can slam the sticks and it doesn't wiggle or do anything. Well, you're also burning a lot of battery power that you don't need to be and shortening your flight times. And, you know, it's just wear and tear on everything. So, yeah, that's how I do it. I kind of have my set maneuvers, you know, TikToks or whatever you can do to get the model um, to react the way that you want it to. If you can get it tuned there, I do keep going down. I mean, I absolutely keep going down. I, you know, my, like my E700, which was 11.2 pounds, I flew it at 1950. Whereas with my Goblin 700 competition on 690s, I fly it at around 2060, about 2080. Because that's just where it tunes the best. It doesn't have anything to do with the actual physical number of the head speed. I want the most flight time that I can out of each flight, but with no compromise whatsoever in how the model flies. So if you're not flying hard or you're not doing stuff that requires more head speed, God, turn it down, you know, until you find that you're struggling to tune something out and then try to go up with it. That's how I do it. Absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that uh, it's surprising to me. It continues to surprise me, even after all this time, of how how dependent the head speed is on the model itself. Oh, man. Like you said. And blades? And blades. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had a situation where I've had to increase or decrease RPM by 100 or more on the same heli because of the difference in blades. Yeah. So here I want to give you and I'm going to I'm going to just on the blade part of it. I'm going to throw SAB under the bus here. Okay. The SAB 690s, the ones that are out right now, not the Thunderbolts. I'm still waiting for those. Okay. I'm talking about the 690s that are out, the black lines. I can fly, if I was to take those and back-to-back them with a set of rails, this is how completely different this is. I would drop my head speed with the rails, probably minimum 50 RPM, potentially 100, and I would go up a degree, if not about a degree and a quarter in pitch. Yep, yep. That's how I would fly the rails versus these. Because the SABs, you got to just spin them fast because they're they're not that great. Yeah. So I need these things a little bit stiffer. The rails are a very stiff blade, but the tip's not very aggressive. So they tune awesome at lower head speeds. I mean, awesome. But then they don't have the collective pop that I want. So then I go back up in the pitch a little bit to go get the collective pop that I went back. La-di-da. So, again, oh, my God, it is such a hard thing to just put in. There's no clear, really cut-and-dry answer. Yep. Because it depends yeah. on model, blades, weight. Oh, weight is huge. 
No, I agree with you. But so so uh, and and I want to address it since I agree with all that detail. I want to address it from a slightly different perspective, Nick, which is if you don't have the experience and you're not flying with other people and you don't know what the right numbers are, where do you start? Okay, let's you know, I got a new model. I got to at least get in the range so that then I can start tuning and figure out what that specific model likes. Mm hmm. And what I've always used, and yes, okay, I'm a nerd. Go ahead, make fun. I got my own little equation, and it's simple. I I use 700 as a baseline. Why? Because I'm the most familiar with flying various 700s. And for me, 700s and my flying style usually sit in the range of 1900 to 1950 RPM, okay? Generally speaking. So from there... Uh, what I've determined is for every 100 millimeters that we drop or increase in blade length from that 700, I'm going to add or subtract about 400 RPM or put a little bit differently, 4 RPM per millimeter, okay? So that, if you want to do the math, that says that a 600, and let, we'll try it right here. You tell me whether you like it. A 600 is going to be operating at I would start flying 600 at about 2300 rpm. Uh see that's to me that's way too hot. Okay. Yep. I would So you can adjust your number. Yeah. You could that that's for 4. If that, I did 3, it would be 2200. Yeah, see 22's right. See, I I guess yeah, that's not it's not See, I bad. I think it depends, right? But you're you can split the difference. 600 at 2300. Yeah, okay. I I I'm fine with that. But it gives me a rough guideline to say and you can run it you if you run that equation all the way back to a 380 it puts you at like 3100, which does make sense actually. Yeah, that I right? yeah, 3000. I you know, the 450 well, whatever you want to call it, whatever size we call them anymore, 450 to 380, I'm sitting around 3,000, uh, 500, probably 26 I start at. I usually start at about 26, I think. Yeah, go up to a true 550 size. I'm starting at about 20, ah, uh, sport pilot. 2150 2200 3d about 2300 right around in there's a good tuning so point. your your number would be three 3.5 rpm per millimeter yeah probably right around there, there it is and about 2000 i start at on a 700 yeah so your equation is 700 minus the blade length that you want to extrapolate to multiply that number by your RPM per millimeter, Nix was 3.5, and then add that to 1,900. And you will get a reasonable starting point for a new model size that you've never flown before. Yeah. And then you tune it from there. Yep. Cool, man. But some people just like, I mean, that's just, that's how we do it, you know? Other people have different attitude where it's like as high as I can and not for speed just because it's fun to see it move across the sky fast. Yeah. No, I hear you. And, and that, okay. You, you, I can't 
I'm not going to judge someone for that because that's, it's all about having fun. But if you're trying to maximize flight time, you know, uh, and want to build, I mean, dude, I fly, uh, like my, my 570. I have been flying, um, a good portion of my flights at 2150. Yeah. And see, I think that's rare because with I think what most I'm, people would not be flying it at that speed. I'm glad you are, but I'm just saying, generally speaking, I don't think that's typical. No, 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 no. 21 or 20. Oh, wait, excuse me. 22. That's right. 22. Okay. I did have to bump it up. My flight, my flight modes are 22 and 23. Now I always fly like the graphene pack in the battery review. I always fly that one at 23. Because at 22, it's a, it's 100 grams heavier. At 22. Yeah, so you got to adjust for that. Yep, I do have to adjust for that. Absolutely. But the rest of them, for practice flights, you know, if I'm just working on individual maneuvers that aren't really load heavy, I do it at I do it at 22. But, like, immediately when I start practicing Piro TikToks, I go straight to yep. 23. Because they just, you load the head so much during those maneuvers. And this is why your RPM will change as you get better or as you try harder stuff. You're going to need to change your RPM because like I can do 85% of what I, what I can do at 2200 on that 570 and it's just fine. Like it's just fine because it's light, but Puro TikToks or four point TikToks or stuff like that, they start to bobble a little bit. At 22, because yep. they're, you know, you're really loading it, albeit because I'm not doing it right, <laughs> or the maneuvers uh, just de- that demanding, I bump up to 23 and it all goes away and everything stays responsive. It's also very dependent on how good your governor is as well and how well tuned it is. Uh, Castle Gov always had to run 100 RPM more, period. End of story. That was a given. 100 RPM more on a Castle Gov than I did on everything else because of how far that it dropped. Yeah. Switch over to the V-Bar Gov on a Castle ESC, I'd lower it down 100 RPM. So I agree. It don't makes get, perfect sense. Yeah, don't get too concerned in your, what I call your hovering RPM, but more be more be aware of how far your governor is dropping because that is the RPM that you're actually flying under load. You'd be surprised. Some people, you'd yep. really be surprised. I fly at 22, you know, and he's got crappy-ass packs in there on a Castle Gov, and it's like, actually, you're going through those maneuvers at 1950. <laughs> you know, and then you got Joe over here with some good packs on, say, you know, a V-Bar Gov. He flies at 2020. And his is dropping to 1950, same thing. Yep. So, yeah, those come into play as well. Well, sweet, man. What a great run of questions. Oh, absolutely. These were killer. I I like like it. I'm glad we got a chance to nerd out a little bit. I agree completely. So next week, we will be... Next week? No. Yeah, next week, dude. Is it next week already? Yeah, it is. Holy cow. All right. About four days, three and a half days from when this goes live, 
we will be en route to Othello. En route. That's right. So uh, be ready for the live Othello episode that we do every year there. We're still going to do it. It's it's for us personally. It's our kickoff fun fly for the season. Uh, it is a, You know, we have a lot of people ask about it. It's a really small fun fly. 30, 40. I mean, sometimes 50 people. Um, small field. It, it's just, why is it so awesome? It's awesome to us because it's the first one of the season. Yep. Um, cool. Low really key, nice. Relaxed. Yeah. Really low key. No pros show up. Um, it's just fun. Good times with friends and all that. So yeah, we'll have that live episode. Uh, we've still got some, uh, we've got some apparel in the store. Um, we are going to be, I, I think we're going to try and do a restock of that soon. So we'll let you know as that gets a little bit closer and as we can. Uh, let's see, what else, man? I think that's it, dude. Yeah, right, you know, yeah. I wanted to give, I really wanted to give a special shout out, take a minute to um, to thank our sponsors uh, that sponsor the podcast. You know, we were actually up. Uh, we don't hide much when it comes to how we do things um, you know, behind the scenes, people think it's some, oh, I wonder they do this. It's it's all pretty simple. But, you know, all of these guys uh, chose to stay with us for another year, which, I mean, that's, man, that's, that's awesome. That's a big deal. It is a really big deal. I mean, a really, really big deal. So, Justin, help me not forget anybody. Uh, Andy at SoCo, SoCo Heli Tools. Progressive awesome. RC, Robin and Dave. That's right. We have uh, Rev Electrics. Yep, we got Bert and Susie, BK Designs. Yes. Um, who else? Oh, duh. Ken. Ken at Lower RC? Lower. Lower Heli, excuse me. Wow. I'm, I'm yeah. reading one thing, and the left brain is not connecting to the right brain. Yep. So just, you know, thanks, guys. I mean, it's... I can't. I can't even say... Thank you enough. A lot of these guys have been with us just since, like, dude, since the freaking beginning. And for them to have stuck with us for this long, uh, it, it's, it's a nice, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's a nice little pat on our back. That means we know we're doing, you know, we're doing our job. But it's something right. It's also, it, it just says a lot. You know, you build good relationships and friends in the hobby. So... Yeah. And that's why if you guys do choose to use these guys for their services or their products, let them know, you know, hey, thanks for supporting RCHN. Yeah. That, that means a lot. That I mean, that's that's everything to us. It really is. That that like that's all if we could ask anything from you guys, which we try not to do, that's it. You know, if you're going to buy something, try and give them your business first. If you can't or they don't have some, obviously that's different. But if you do, just shoot them in the comment. Every single order form has a comment section. Just say, hey, man, thanks for supporting RCHN. That does it. That's all we ask in return. We'll keep cranking out this show every week that we can. Yeah. So, yep. Thanks again, guys. We really appreciate it. Cool. Let's get out of here. I got a nitro to build. Yep. I got to get ready to fly on my day off and pick up my TDR2. Oh, yeah.
Justin, you, hey, you better be prepared because you're going to be getting some text messages with photos. Yep, photo bomb. Perfect. Take us out, man. All right. Did we already do emails? No, nah, we better do emails first. Yeah, really quick. If we wanted to get in touch with you, Nick, how would we do that? Uh, you would catch me at nick at rchelynation.com or nicklenrchn on Facebook. If you wanted to get in touch with Jesse, you could catch him at jesse at rchelynation.com. Dan is at dan at rchelynation.com or Dank Reed on the forums. Ken, who does our shop, uh, shipping of all of the apparel, citizen cards, pretty much all the really important stuff is Ken at rchelynation.com. And you should do what Mark and Ross did. And send some audio questions into questions at rchelynation.com. Yeah, and don't forget the newsletter. Jesse puts that out every month, uh, does a great job on it, kind of an over overview of what we've done for the month and cool little tidbits in there. Even does, uh, sometimes we'll do some newsletter giveaways for just those people. So hop on our webpage, that awesome dude man Larry designed yep. at Superiority. And, um, yeah, go ahead and click and subscribe to the newsletter. We would really appreciate it. Yes, sir. And if you wanted to get in touch with me, you could get me at Justin at RCHellyNation.com or Justin Pucci on Facebook or the forums. This has been episode number 232. We hope you all enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. We will see you live at Othello. Later. This has been a production of RC Heli Nation LLC and is brought to you by Soco Heli Tools, Progressive RC, Rev Electrics USA, Lower Heli, BK Servos, Spartan Flybarless Systems, and Superiority. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, please feel free to send us an email.